Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. He is risen. Well, it is Easter Sunday, and Easter Sunday is, of course, about the resurrection of Jesus. And probably, for many of us, we've grown up hearing a lot about this, right? It's Easter Sunday, we we celebrate when Jesus rose from the dead, and maybe we've taken for granted how radical a claim that really is. I recognize this morning that uh, there may be some in the room who don't believe or maybe who are agnostic or maybe unsure about this, uh, this event. Can that really thing happen today? Um, so I, I just want to encourage you this morning to, if that's you, to open up your hearts and your minds to the possibility, right, that the God of the universe raised Jesus from the dead. He created all things, and if there is a God who did that, he could also raise someone from the dead. So just be open to that. And for those who believe already and have heard this story a million times, and and maybe you're here and you're noticing all the colors and the pretty things and what people are wearing, and you're thinking about what you're going to do for lunch with your family, all those things are great. But I just encourage you to focus like, right, to really try to focus this morning and hearing this message about the resurrection because everything, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, everything hinges upon this. And we need to be reminded why this morning that we believe that Jesus was literally, physically raised from the dead and transformed. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we, we give ourselves to you this morning. We give our hearts and our minds, our attention, our focus to you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, before we look at our scripture reading, let's begin by reflecting on what the church believes that resurrection means. So if or since the resurrection is true, what does it mean? So a quick review, again, for some of us, but some of this could be new to those uh, who are newer to to the Christian faith. Number one, we believe that God the Father, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, approves of Jesus' life, his claims, and his teachings. In other words, God the Father has vindicated Jesus and says, I approve. Right? Because if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then he is nothing but a failed Messiah. You see, Jesus has been vindicated by God the Father as the legitimate Son of God. What he did was done in God's power. That's what this means. His healings, his miracles, his exorcisms, his teachings, calming the storm, forgiving people's sins, pulling those up who are, who are outcast, who are downtrodden, speaking freedom and peace to the captives. 
all of his hard sayings, his rebukes of the religious leaders, his turning over tables. It is all God's stamp of approval because God has raised Jesus from the dead. And it means that Jesus isn't just teacher, prophet, and Messiah. He is the Word made flesh. You've probably heard me say before, Jesus is God's selfie, right? We say this at Grantham. We are leading people to the God who looks like Jesus. We know this because God has raised Jesus from the dead and he approves. The second thing, if or since the resurrection is true, what does it mean? It means the cross proves God's love for us and has saving power. Think about this. The resurrection means that a victory has been won over Satan and the forces of darkness, over the principalities and powers. Paul said that he made a spectacle of those who executed him, right? They sought to make a spectacle of him. He turned it around on them, right? Jesus beat this devil with two sticks. They didn't see this one coming. Evil didn't see this one coming. By their own violence, by their own hatred, by their own evil, God uses it, as we heard at our Good Friday service, to coronate his king. It means that the power of sin and death has died with Jesus on the cross. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, thank you. This is, this is good stuff. This is earth-shaking stuff. It means that our sins were nailed to the cross with Christ, all of it. Our guilt for wrongdoing, our shame for what we've done, our complicity with evil, our idolatry, the times that maybe we denied or betrayed him as we see with the disciples as they did when they fled. Every dark hidden thought we've ever had, right? You don't want people to see those thoughts. I don't want people to see those thoughts. God sees those thoughts and he died for those thoughts on the cross. They were crucified with Jesus of Nazareth on a hill far away. That's because he chose to forgive and to love instead of condemn and judge. Number three, we also see this in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that what happened to Jesus will happen to all who believe. Again, the Apostle Paul said this and emphasizes this in 1 Corinthians 15 and then again in Thessalonians. He says that because of what happened to Jesus, like Jesus is the prototype. He's the first. He's the first who went through death and came out the other side glorified transfigured, transformed. Jesus was the first to go through death, be transformed. His resurrection body is heaven and earth coming together, right? There are two spaces, God's space heaven, our space earth. They, they receive a marriage, a bringing together of the two in the resurrected body of Jesus. This is what God has done in Christ. This is what God will do to all who believe. The scriptures say the same will happen to us if we believe in Christ. In fact, Jesus himself said this. You remember when his friend Lazarus died to console his sister said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. But what about the brokenness in the world now? What about my aging, dying body now? Some of you might be thinking. Well, remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. He said, because of the resurrection, outwardly we may be currently wasting away, but inwardly, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So Jesus told Nicodemus, right, to receive him is to be born again. 
Resurrection is happening in an inward way. One day it will happen in an outward way. All things will be conformed to the image of Christ. God will raise us up. This is what the New Testament says. He will transform the world. The creation groaning will cease. No more tears, book of Revelation says. No more dying, no more loss, no more war. It will be as it is supposed to be, as we see in Christ. In other words, for those who believe in Christ, resurrection has already begun in an inward way. So to accept Jesus is to receive his indwelling spirit, the spirit that raised him from the dead. Jesus says we become born again. And this is how the kingdom of God has broken through into the old order of things. And how already it's begun the resurrection in the here and in the now. And I know, folks, I think about this every year when this time comes, how radical this stuff sounds. And you start to think about the evidences and the signs. Is this really happening? And I remember the words that Jesus, again, spoke to Nicodemus, this Pharisee who comes very skeptically but wanting to understand. And Jesus said, the things of the kingdom and the things of the Spirit, and of course the death and resurrection of Christ, is like the wind. You can't see it, but you see the effects of it. But in order to see the effects, you have to be born again. You have to have new eyes. You have to have a new heart to see the kinds of things that God is doing, how resurrection is already happening. This is good news. This is how the kingdom of God, as we said, is broken through into the old order of things. The future has broken into the present. You see, God didn't wait to the end of human history to do this work. The future work of the kingdom of resurrection has broken into the middle of human history. And this kingdom is coming in us, with us, and through us. It's doing a work within the hearts of those who receive him, those who make up his church, the body of Christ on the earth. And I know we don't always represent Jesus well, but this is why Jesus is always the standard. If you ever want to judge a religion, judge a religion by its teacher, and then judge its followers by its teacher. Those who follow the teacher are those who belong to the teacher. Amen? The fourth thing, uh, the resurrection is true. What does it mean? It means we have a living hope. We have a living hope, Peter said, despite our current sufferings. This past week, we, we lost a dear sister, Janet Shirk. Morris is here with us this morning. Morris, we have a living hope. Brothers and sisters, we have a living hope. And many of you have maybe lost some loved ones in the last couple of years. Many of you, I know, you're living with chronic pain. You're thinking, will this ever end? The answer is yes. One day it will end. One day God's going to put the broken things back together. And he's going to redeem it. He's going to renew it. He's going to restore it. You see, because, because of this living hope, it means that we have a whole new life, a new creation, something the first disciples thought would happen at the end of time, right? Many people believed in resurrection, but they thought it was going to happen some point at the end of human history, but it's happened in the middle of history. It's happened to Jesus. It's happening now, again, in an inward way. Lives are being changed and transformed. Yes, we're being assured of being with him when we die. But the Christian hope is much bigger and better. Listen to me. The Christian hope is better than that, than just thinking that one day I'll die and be with Jesus in heaven. 
Again, it means that heaven and earth have come together in the risen Jesus, making Jesus the first to undergo what God promises to do with all of creation and all those who trust in Christ. The risen Jesus is evidence of God's good future. No risen Jesus, no promise of God's good future. You follow me? This is the gospel. But you see, because you don't get any of that. None of this is true unless Jesus was physically raised from the dead and metaphysically transformed. There's continuity with the old body of Jesus, but something is different. The dude walked through walls. He appeared and disappeared. He ate, which tells me he probably went to the bathroom in his resurrected form. There's continuity. This isn't a ghost. But it's radically changed and transformed. Yes, God will do the same thing to us who believe. All of creation. So this stuff really matters. The earth, it really matters. It's not going to get kicked in the cosmic trash can. It's not all going to burn. We're reading those scriptures wrong, folks. That's not good news. This is good news. And it means that heaven and earth have come together in Christ. Jesus is the first to undergo it. You can't get there you see, by spiritualizing the resurrection to make it more acceptable or palatable to our post-enlightenment anti-supernatural age. And that's because if you don't have a physical re resurrection, then you can't be assured that God is going to redeem and renew the material world. You follow that? You see, no resurrection, no physical literal resurrection of Jesus. Then we just slip into this platonic, right? Remember Plato, the Greek philosopher? You remember the, uh, the, the analogy he gives of the cave, if you've never heard of that, just go watch The Matrix because that's, that's built upon this idea that none of this stuff is real, none of it really matters, we're all kind of deluded. The real world of the forms is out there somewhere, so we need to just escape this world, take the red pill, wake up, and fly away somewhere. But this is not the gospel of Jesus. This isn't the, the message of the resurrection. Uh, we, our understanding isn't that we're bound to someday fly away and escape for an ethereal existence floating on clouds with naked babies playing harps. <laughs> this isn't the gospel. And, and at first, you know, if you've heard that growing up, you may be a little disappointed, but if you really think about it, that's exciting. I'm glad that message isn't true. Right? This is for the real world, this message. It means then we can't abandon. Think about it. We can't abandon any concern for creation and how we treat the planet. It matters. From throwing our trash out the window, for burning carbon and putting it in the atmosphere, what do we think is going to happen? You know, just look at Venus. It once had an atmosphere. All that carbon, it heated it up. It made it a hell on earth. This isn't rocket science. It is science, but it's not rocket science. And so, look, we, the resurrection means we also... We can't disregard God's design for our bodies as so many people in the culture and society want to do today. Human sexuality matters. It matters what we do with the body. Marriage matters. All of that and so forth. You see, actually nothing, nothing holds together without the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, your faith is futile. It's futile. It's meaningless. Right? We are just crazy people going around talking about this, this dead Messiah who was crucified by the Romans, and none of it's true, and we are worst of all to be pitied on the earth. And we can get that, right? We understand that. We know what Paul means. Of course. Why would you give your life to this if it's not true? If you've not been convinced by the evidence, right? And there's not absolute certainty. We'll get to that in a minute. 
But if, but if all roads and signs didn't point to this, folks, if I didn't have good reason to believe the resurrection of Jesus, I wouldn't waste my time being a Christian. Probably just be a Buddhist. They're nice. And so this is what, though, what many evangelicals you see have done. We've reduced the gospel down to simply saving souls, flying away to heaven, and not caring so much about suffering bodies or society. Or that we live on a planet in peril, a creation that's groaning for salvation. And we can certainly point out the, the, the folks on the right, the re religious conservative fundamentalists who do that kind of thing. But on the other flip side of that, we have the extreme of those people who think we can bring the kingdom of God. No, we can't. Right? I mean, yes, the gospel isn't this message of hug a peasant near you. Just do kind things in the name of Jesus. That's important. But we understand Jesus is the one that's going to bring this kingdom. This is why we need him to come back. This is why he said when he, was, he ascended, which is, by the way, Jesus going to the throne, right? Ruling all over creation. This is why he said, I will come back. This is why the angel said, hey, why are you stand there gazing at the sky? Jesus is going to come back. Same way you saw him go, he's coming again. I'm preaching. All right, so you're with me. You see, the resurrection of Jesus means that we are compelled to care about all of these things. And this is good news. This is good news. And number five, since the resurrection is true, it means this. All things are possible with God for those who believe. I think I'm ready to start my sermon now. This is actually what, it's actually what the sermon is, is entitled, right? All things are possible with God for those who believe. That's what I want to emphasize with the remaining time. At the beginning of the service, I read a portion of the resurrection account from John chapter 20. In our Lenten series, if you've been with us at Grantham, you've, we've gone through that. You, you know, leading up to Holy Week and Easter Sunday, we've interacted a bit with the Gospel of Luke. And since it is the lectionary text this year, let's look at Luke's account. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. I'll have this up on the screen here, but if you want to open up your Bibles, you can do that. This is from the New Living Translation. Luke 24, verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. Verse 5 continues here. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Who needs to hear that this morning? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. Notice that women are the first evangelists. Hallelujah. And everyone else... They told them what had happened. Verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Look at verse 11. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. Now, I know we could put all of our chips on it and say, well, see, they, they didn't allow a woman's testimony in a court of law. That's why. Well, maybe that's some of it. The women have been distraught. They've been crying. They did hang around the cross when all the other men fled. They've got those images in their head. But I think something else is going on here. And that's this. They knew that dead means dead. 
This is why it sounded like nonsense. This is why. However, Peter jumps up. He ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in. He saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what possibly could have happened. (laughs) You see, as the angels pointed out to the women, we know that Jesus did speak of his death and resurrection while he was alive. But to his disciples, even to the faithful women who followed him, his words were confusing and cryptic, a bit vague. Right? It's like when Jesus went into the temple during Holy Week and he said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. Well, 2,000 years, Christians can look and say, well, he's talking about his body, duh. But they didn't get that. They thought he was talking about that physical structure. And a lot of things Jesus said were like that. It's like later on the light bulb comes on, the Holy Spirit's given, and they understand it. And they're like, how did we miss it? How did we not understand what he was talking about? Mainly their surprise was because they had no category for what Jesus was trying to say to them. They had no room in their thinking for a dying and rising Messiah. Messiahs don't die, they win. We see, but Jesus wins by dying, not by killing. This is the kind of king we worship. This is the kind of kingdom that he's all about and calling us into. So when Jesus died, all of their hopes died with him. I've spent the last couple days really trying to get into their shoes, or maybe I should say sandals, right? Trying to really think about what they must have felt. I mean, these guys, they, they believe he's the Messiah. They've confessed it. At least some of them have. Most of them stuck with Jesus to the end. And it's over. All of their hopes dashed. All of their expectations and the things that they wanted to see happen, it's over. And now the women come. It's all very confusing. Telling them he's risen? What are you talking about? It sounded like nonsense. So think about that. The disciples weren't sitting around after Good Friday thinking, well, that was all very unpleasant yesterday, but never mind. On the third day, he'll be back. They weren't thinking that. They they may have lived 2,000 years ago, but the first disciples knew what we know now. When people die, they stay dead. And while they did believe in a future resurrection of the dead, as I said, as most Jews did in that day, that wasn't supposed to happen until the end of time. Nobody expected it to happen to one person in the middle of human history. So in response to those who, you know, might assume... Oh, those silly disciples. I mean, they actually believe that dead people could be raised. (laughs) I'm so glad that science has proven otherwise. Listen to what N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, recently said in a BioLogos podcast on the subject. He said this, Do you think that it was only with Descartes or Locke or Berkeley or Hume or Kant, right, these philosophers, these existentialists, there's somebody that, that people suddenly realize that dead people didn't come back. Look at the history. Socrates knew that. Aeschylus says very clearly that there's no such thing as resurrection. Seneca knew that. Cicero knew that. These are, these are all classic philosophers and Greek writers before the time of Jesus. They all confess to this. They all say this. You see, Tom Wright says, early Christianity was born into a world where everybody knew that dead people didn't come back. They laughed at St. Paul in Athens on Mars Hill when he said that God had raised Jesus from the dead. This is not a new thing that modern science has suddenly discovered. 
I once heard one New Testament scholar say that when you read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, you can tell that they're all reaching for language that didn't even exist to try to explain what they saw and what they experienced. Wright goes on to say this. Some of you will like this. If a scientist says, well, I'm a scientist, so I really can't believe in this stuff, well, fine. Science studies that which we can repeat, which we can test in the laboratory or the laboratory, if you're English like Mr. Wright. Of course, that's what science does extremely well. It has done that very successfully. But the whole claim here is that something new has launched upon the world, which in the nature of the case, you wouldn't expect to be able to repeat in the laboratory, except in so far that the claim is about a new community, a new way of being human, a new way of living, which actually goes out into the world and has had a transformative, though still controversial, impact upon the world. He says that's where the claim really comes home to roost. But if you're still a bit skeptical, I'd encourage you to consider a few things this morning. Historians, historians take the resurrection of Jesus seriously. And I don't just mean believing historians, non-believers. They conclude that there was an empty tomb. We have to decide why it was empty. The, the people who were first there, like the, the religious leaders, they made up a story. The disciples stole the body. You don't make up a story if you don't have an empty tomb. And these, these, these eyewitnesses are credible. And of all the, the theories, the resurrection makes the most sense. I mean, some people actually, and these are scholarly right theories, that Jesus had a twin brother who must have lived out of town and came into town and said, voila, I've resurrected. Some people believe that the disciples were all on a mass LSD trip of some sort, hallucinating. These are, these are serious theories, right? But if you think about it, it's the story of the Gospels that really makes sense. How do you make sense of the explosive growth of the early church? In, 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 the resurrection helps us make sense. How do you make sense of the conversions of James? The, if your brother came to you and, and, and said or was testifying that he was the Son of God, would you believe that? He didn't either. Not until he saw him raised. He became the leader of the Jerusalem church. How does that happen? Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of Christians, how does that happen, that he goes from Saul to the Apostle Paul and becomes the greatest missionary in the New Testament? He says he encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. You see, the unwavering faith of the disciples, the martyrs, the resurrection makes the most sense. If you believe that God created the world, why can't he raise Jesus from the dead? I mean, he created quantum mechanics. You know, I mean, he put stars in the sky, quasars and, you know, molecules and atoms and created DNA. Why can't he raise Jesus from the dead? He, it's his stuff. He can do it. <sighs> Remember. Yes. Remember, Jesus isn't looking for your certainty. And I'm not going to stand here like some fundamentalist preacher and say that we've been given certainty. We have not. We have not. But, but he wants your trust. He wants your faith. And genuine faith looks at the evidence. It listens with the head and the heart and responds in faith. And where there is doubt, 
we know doubt is a, often a constant companion. It's a constant companion of faith. That's right. It's okay to have doubts. But you know, I doubt my doubts. <laughs> I do. And that's why I can relate to the disciple Thomas. You remember this? You want to open up to John 20, you can find this story, John chapter 20, verse 24 through 29. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus first appeared to them in his resurrected form. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, probably like any of us would, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in, the, in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. This is a Caravaggio painting, uh, I think the 17th century. L look at that. I mean, the finger is all the way in. The, the Greek actually literally says, unless I plunge my hand into his side, I won't believe. Now, why does he say this? It is to indicate the emotion that Thomas is feeling. He's feeling this passionately, as, as you and I would. What, you all got to see him? I didn't? I'm not going to believe unless I see it for myself. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, I always get a kick out of that. The angels show up, Jesus shows up, they say peace. Why? Because they're, they're freaking out. I mean, wouldn't you? Saw your gown. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, Thomas. Believe. And how else do you respond but to say, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Jesus knew that word there is for us. We are blessed if we believe no matter how hard. He knows how hard it is. We all don't get an appearance of Jesus at the end of our hospital bed or in a vision like a lot of Muslims do in the East. It happens, but it may not happen to us. Jesus understands this takes faith. And think about Thomas's faith. He showed courage in the face of fear. He was actually willing to die for Jesus. Back in John 11, verse 26, 26 Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem. They were like, that's a bad idea, Jesus. And Thomas said, I'm going with him. I'm ready to die. Who's, who's with us? This is, this is Thomas. This is the doubter. The one who did have faith as well. And Thomas shows us an honesty in the pursuit of faith. He wanted to see too. Who wouldn't? Despite his doubts, he shows though a commitment to relationships. He stayed. He stayed. Maybe you have doubts. Stay. I have doubts. And I doubt my doubts. Let's stay. Notice Jesus did tell him to stop doubting, but only after he was willing to accommodate Thomas in order that he might believe like the rest. And so in a way, Thomas's doubt opened the door to a unique experience of Jesus. And folks, so can your doubt as well. And this is what it's all about. We can examine the evidence. We can think on the theology of the resurrection and its implications. But if we do not have a lived experience that comes to an act of faith in the resurrected Christ, it doesn't matter. People don't care what you have to say anymore. It isn't the Bible says it and that settles it. My Bible says nobody cares anymore. What they care is, do you really follow Jesus? 
Is there evidence that Jesus is actually alive? Do you love people the way he loved them? Because he said, that's how the whole world's going to know you belong to me. Not by your fish on the back of your car, not your Christian t-shirts, not by the way that you vote, even though that's important. But that's not the way. It's love. Loving like Jesus and showing the power of the Spirit, the resurrected Christ in you. That's what it's about. That's why I want to invite us into this Easter Sunday, to invite us into this, to either begin or maybe to renew your faith relationship with the living Jesus, which comes with the added invitation to believe that all things are possible with God to those who believe. You may recall that Jesus said this himself in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He said to his disciples, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. Yes, Jesus originally said this in the context of a rich man. Remember that? Who went away sad because he had an idol in his life and he wasn't willing to give it up. Maybe some of us come in here with an idol. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's sex or maybe it's an addiction of some sort. I don't know. Jesus wants us to give it up and see that God can do what seems impossible. And this can equally apply to all seemingly impossible ideas and tasks. So that, therefore, let's consider how all things are possible with God. What does that look like? Just think with me for just a couple of minutes. I'm almost done. What does it look like? What might it look like for God to do the impossible this morning in your life on Easter Sunday? And specifically, how is the res- resurrection of Jesus and his death made this possible? Think, think with me on these points. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, Forgiveness, mercy, grace, and redemption are possible. And I submit to you that our culture does not understand these things. But Jesus does. And you see, this is for ourselves, this forgiveness, this mercy, this grace, this redemption. But it's also for others. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that we can extend this to others. Think about it. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience. Some of you can finish that. The fruit of the Spirit is available to us. We can embody them. And many of those fruit of the Spirit are not virtues of the world. Just like in the Roman world, humility wasn't a virtue. Is with Jesus. To humble ourselves, to say, I was wrong. Forgive me. Right? And to be able to extend that forgiveness to others who say the same. To experience the love, joy, peace, and patience of God. It's all possible. So I don't know. I, I don't think I can love them. Yes, Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you if you ask. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, restorative justice. That's the biblical form. Restorative justice and reconciliation are possible. You see, this is, this is why the efforts of the world are futile to do these things because it doesn't accept the death and the resurrection of Jesus that allows us to do such a thing. They go on believing in the myth of redemptive violence and the electric chair or the cross. But Jesus says, I am the last scapegoat. No one else need die. If we will believe the, the death and resurrection of Jesus 
means that signs and wonders, miracles, are possible. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that repenting and starting over, that new life, are all possible. If you look in your bulletin this morning, you'll see an insert with testimonies of the people that we are about to baptize. And these four people are a sign and a witness that God can do the impossible. Just read those stories. You'll see that God is still in the business of changing people's lives. Only by the gospel, folks, can these things happen. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with these closing words. The resurrection of Jesus invites us to move from the certainty of the way things are, that that's just the way things are, we say, to the unsettling openness that God can do the impossible. So how is he calling you this morning to be open and to believe in his power to change you and to change your situation? Remember the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to all of us. All we must do is believe. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you that you gave your only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He is risen. Those who believe are risen. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are the living one. You were dead, and now look, you are alive forever and ever. And behold, you are making all things new. You are risen. Those who believe are risen. Hallelujah. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you, the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, lives in your people today, giving life to our mortal bodies. He is risen. Those who believe are risen. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.